Hello, it's Matt Tassaro, and welcome back to my take on the OWASP podcast. It seems like I'm heading in the direction of turning my episodes into the equivalent of a, of a conference hall track. You know, those wonderful interactions you have running between rooms at conferences, meeting up with smart minds that you maybe don't see all the time. And this was definitely a great one. I had the pleasure of reuniting with Wendy Nather, CISO advisor extraordinaire, and we had a very interesting conversation about software bill of materials, or SBOMs. Uh, like many of my interactions with Wendy, I learned from our conversation and she threw out some really good nuggets towards the end of our conversation. I'd also highly recommend looking up Wendy on Twitter, at Wendy Nather, or W-E-N-D-Y-N-A-T-H-E-R, Besides the security wisdom she's going to drop, she's got a hell of a sense of humor, and I think it'll be worth the follow. So, let's get started. This is the OWASP podcast series. The OWASP podcast series is supported by the Open Web Application Security Project, home to over 240 community-driven security projects, including the OWASP Top 10, the Web Security Testing Guide, and the Security Knowledge Framework Projects. So, welcome to my second podcast with the OWASP podcast. I have the great pleasure of being here with Wendy Nather. Um, if you're the two or three people in the world who don't know who Wendy is, um, I'm going to give her a chance to introduce herself. I had the, the great pleasure many years ago of being an underling of hers. I got to work for her. She was my boss and it was wonderful. And so Wendy, can you give us a little bit of your a brief history background for those people who may not be familiar with you? <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Uh, so I, I was a, a CISO in the public and private sectors. And yes, I did have the great pleasure of working with Matt to, to break stuff for fun and profit. And I have also been an industry analyst, uh, helped to stand up the retail and hospitality ISAC. And now I work for Cisco, an advisory CISO team in the security strategy office. So uh, if any of that makes sense, let me know, because I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> hey, as long as the check clears, right? As long as the check That's clears. That's right. So you and I had some conversation earlier this week about what we would talk about. And the, the idea that we came up with, there was your idea, really, I, I shouldn't take credit was to talk about SBOMs, because that's very much in the news. And that's a very big and important thing. SBOM is a software bill of materials. In my mind, I didn't I haven't told you this. I had the working title for this podcast of Fast Times at SBOM High. Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> which for, for our more senior audiences, you'll get that reference. But President Biden, right, May of 2021, if I remember correctly, a year ago, had an executive order that said, uh, as a requirement for software vendors interacting with the federal government, they needed to provide SBOMs, right? So this has caused a bit of a ripple through the industry because this is something that doesn't exist and now exists and the federal government represents a lot of software purchasing. So do you want to kind of give us your take on SBOMs just at a high level and then we can dig into some specifics? 
So I know that folks like Alan Friedman, you know, when he was at NTIA and now he is over at CISA, has been working for many years to engage the industry and the community, bring people together to figure out what SBOM should be. At Cisco, we've been working on generating them internally for several years, working out all the kinks in, in how that actually happens. And a lot of people are, are bringing in very interesting contributions to, to the idea and you know, proposing standards and stuff like that. And you know me, I tend to look at things kind of from the, the CISO point of view. So as you know, they were making announcements about adopting SBOMs and I was thinking, great. Then I thought, well, if I were a CISO and somebody handed me an SBOM today, what would I do with it? How would I actually use it? And so I've given a couple of talks on it. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, first of all, in the procurement process, there may be a place where you can decide, you know, we're just never going to acquire this. We're never going to buy this software because it you know, came originally from this, or we are never going to use software built by our competitor or you know, those sorts of components. But as you and I know, you can't really say no to a lot of procurement requests without a very, very good reason. So it's going to have to be something that you and your lawyers and you know, everybody else can agree on we are never going to acquire this. And so this is an automatic stop in the procurement process if this comes in in an SBOM. But then after that, it gets kind of you know, more complicated. Let's say that I handed you an SBOM. And first of all, you have to go figure out whether, whether you're using those components. Sure, you may have them. Where do you have them and what systems? But are you actually calling those functions you know, that are being delineated there, if there is a vulnerability announced with some component, then you got to think about, well, just how bad is this really? And is it worth swapping out? Do we need to patch it? Do we need to go upstream and get the original provider to patch it? There are all sorts of things that, that you have to think about once you're on the consumption end. I don't know, what what are you thinking about? Well, you're, you're reminding me of a... Of a... <laughs> of a GitHub rant I went on years ago. Uh, I, I've been involved in the OWASP Defect Dojo project well, since, it's in, since it was on a whiteboard at Rackspace, honestly, before it was even open source. But I remember when the uh, SCA tools were just starting to come out. And I, yeah. I honestly don't remember the vendor, but one of the vendors was running SCA against a bunch of open source tools and dropping vulnerabilities in, in uh, the issues for those. And, Defect Dojo got one of those. And mm -hmm. it, it frustrated the heck out of me because I spent, I like, I knew, yes, we had that version of that library. We didn't call, like you mentioned earlier, the function that was vulnerable. So even though we were tainted by association, we weren't actually vulnerable. Right. And like the, the time it took me to prove that out was one, annoying, and two, kind of frustrating because this is time that I'm not, you know, making my open source project better. I'm arguing with this person about, yes, I know tool says bad, you know, kind of like computer says no. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But guess what? I say, yes, you know, it's fine. It's, it's like, look, we don't call that thing. Yes. If I called that particular method, we would be vulnerable. I don't. So go away. You know, so there's a lot of 
uh, technical nuance around this that is going to be really interesting to see how it shakes out. And the, the other thing too is like, what's the value of a smell test? Like you said earlier for procurement, those are old libraries. Do I really want those? Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Another project leader at OWASP does SSL testing, right? And to test if you have SSL V2, you need a V2 library, even though that's ancient and there's no reason in God's green earth you should use that today. <laughs> so yeah, I, I was going to say, I'm sure somebody out there is using it well, <laughs> anyway, but yes, <laughs> you will, you, you will unfortunately find it. But if you follow modern best practices, your tool can't check for V2. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a really good point. And, and, and there's, there's all sorts of things that, as, as we know, we went through a lot of this together when, you know, somebody would point out a flaw, we would go, well, you know, computer says no, we'd go, okay, well, how no, you know, like how, uh, you know, how serious are we about making either somebody remediate this, getting rid of it, changing it, getting a different product. And then you have to do that same assessment for every instance of it that you have. So you might need to put, you know, a note on there someplace, you know, where can you put a sticky note on an S-bomb saying, we're not actually calling this function, but if, if we ever do, don't, uh, you know, or then we'll have to revisit this or something, you know. Right. It can become quite the challenge to understand, you know, the, 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 like to have that feedback mechanism to tell people, yes, I know I'm, I'm, like I said, guilty by association, but I'm actually not doing the bad thing. Right. And, and mm -hmm. then, you know, then it comes to the whole question of trust. Do I trust a vendor who tells me, no, really, I swear. Right. How yes. many vendors? It's, it's on the roadmap. Right. We're going to get it in the next version. And three years later, it's still not there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it could be that, really that, interesting. Uh, yeah. That's that's the other thing about S-bombs. And that's kind of uh, I, I gave a talk about how we can learn from vulnerability management that we've already been doing for years, and also threat intelligence analysis that we've been doing for years. And as you just brought up, one of them, especially with threat intelligence, is trust. You know, do you trust that vendor to know what they're doing? Or are you going to get an S-bomb that you don't think is accurate? And if so, how do you find out whether it's accurate? And who do you go to, to, you know, get a corrected version so there's a lot of messing around or, you know, somebody comes to you and says, well, you know, we, we found this vulnerability in your product and you have to say, you know, that's not really a thing. Okay. Uh, and you have to have that discussion with them. Sometimes it's a, it's a great flaw and you say, yes, absolutely. Thank you. Here, have a t-shirt, have a bug bounty. We're going to fix this right away. But others are like, you don't understand. This is this is really not a thing, and here's why. But yet they're going to go out and in the public and say, "Oh, I told them about this vulnerability, and they're not fixing it." So all the problems that we have still had all these years are going to be there in the usage of the S bomb too. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? Yeah, and the, the other kind of historical thing, if you want to sort of look backwards, right? IT and inventory have been at best a mixed bag. Right, we sort of kind of kept track of our physical servers when you could actually go to a server room and look at asset tags on them, but we weren't even good at that. And now we're trying no. to do that plus software plus cloudy things. Cloudy things are actually a little bit better because I can query an API and it can tell me what I have, which is sort of nice. Um, but here's a, yet another thing like inventory all your apps, inventory all your APIs, 
inventory, all the bits that make up your apps and APIs, right? This is just like another level of inventory where the, the levels north of, of uh, software components haven't exactly been completely sorted universally. Mm -hmm. That's that's right. And and that reminds me of a project I was going to mention, the Gitbomb project. I don't know if you've heard of that one. Mm -hmm. um, that there's some folks at Cisco that have, have developed it. If you if you look at gitbomb.dev, it basically is, you know, helps it, it complements, you know, SBOM standards that are out there like SPDX and Cyclone DX and so on. But it creates an artifact tree for every software artifact, and it creates a unique, immutable, verifiable identifier, a GitBomb ID for every software artifact. So, you know, if you're trying to index these things and working with, you know, various different versions, you're going to need a more unique ID instead of, you know, because do you know how many? Uh, the artifacts out there all have the same name. I, I don't want to say Foo Bar and Baz, but probably Foo Bar and probably. Baz. So the question is, okay, you know, whose Foo is that, and which, and which version, and all the details. If you can simply put them into a unique ID, then you can have more more confidence that you are actually addressing the right artifact and that you're tracking it across languages and environments and packaging formats and, and so on. So I think that's, that's gonna be a really important element to dealing with what I think is gonna be a big explosion of data once you start getting SBOMs out there. We're all, you know, you talked about asset inventory earlier and it was great when the only things you had to inventory were top level things, but now we're gonna go down a few layers and that's just going to mean more data. Oh, mo mo much more data. And then the, the, the other thing too, if you're internally doing SBOMs, like you said, Cisco does, and I think a lot of companies are doing now, if they're, if they're you know, somewhat mature, you also have to associate, say, a product with it, right? If you're a Java shop and you've written 15 different Java apps and you have log4j, because we should just whip that dead horse, um, <laughs> yes. right? So you have log4j. I want to know that product A has log4j that's older and out of date, but not product B. So there's also different levels that you need to query this at that you're gonna have to keep track of. Almost like a, I mean, I hate to say it, kind of a, like a lightweight data warehouse of what's going on. I, oh my God, yeah. And I know there are yeah. people working on, the, on you know, the, this kind of storage and retrieval and, and indexing and everything like that. We definitely need that. They're gonna, they're working on integration. How do we get the data from one place to another from one organization to another all of that is going to be great but even with product names if you work at a company the size of cisco you know it's said well you know this product that got renamed this product that used to be this one that got acquired as this one and then we pulled it apart and pieces of it are over in this product which also goes by this acronym but nobody uses that anymore except for you know five engineers and what is a product you know, and does it matter for it, it, kind of a product is the interface for procurement and legal issues and financial transactions and customer support. But when we're talking about, you know, flaws and remediation and dependencies, does it really matter what product it is? I don't know. 
Well, and, and you have like the, the sort of modern style of software development leads to even more interesting complexities. We had this at Rackspace, right? We had Rackspace Cloud, right? Well, that's that's a that's a product, wink, wink. Or you could get the Compute Cloud, right? Which is a product, wink, wink. That product was yeah. loads of applications that actually made it work. Done by mm -hmm. different teams <laughs> with different bosses. And like you said, different freaking internal versus external names. Like I, I remember one uh, skew, maybe five skews, you know? Yeah. So like just tracking that down is really interesting uh, from a, like a, having done product security, like trying to understand like, yes, I know I found this in this thing. Where else does this thing live? And where else are, like you said, are we borrowing from Peter, you know, to pay Paul over here because I already mm -hmm. wrote this thing that does this kind of somewhat useful function that your team needs. And Hey, I do Python, you do Python. Great. Just share this this little library thing or my little bit of code, right? And right. The, the other interesting thing about SBOMs, and I this is maybe my, my uh, old school econ background showing itself, is I'm wondering if we're providing an incentive to have people use libraries less and write more code. And then do we know that people's written code is better than the library code that maybe lots of people look at and use or not? Like those are very interesting and hard to answer questions. Those are, and, and I'm remembering now when you gave an OWASP talk, and I don't, I, I'm pretty sure it was at last con. I don't remember which year it was, but you know, you talked about a software bill of materials, you know, very early on, and we should really have that. And I don't think we all knew at that time just how complex it was going to turn out to be when we started going, okay, now we're going to generate them. Right. We, we thought it would be like a food label. You know, there's so much sugar right, and right. carbohydrates and whatever in it. And it you, just, you just do it and it's easy. Well, I heard a really interesting thing because that, that the, that's the analogy, right? The food label. That's, that's what everyone right. has been kicking around. I heard a really interesting point made, though, that it's less about, it's more if you think about the FDA, right? The Food and Drug Administration, some apps are like food. You kind of want to know about them. Honestly, if I don't exactly know, it's not that bad. But mm -hmm. drugs, drugs are kind of really important to make sure they're labeled correctly. And so the distinction between the software that maybe runs my, I don't know, nuclear plant versus the software that tells me it's time to go to a meeting, like two very different things. Like if the software that tells me to go to the meeting doesn't tell me that it's irritating, I might get yelled at by somebody, but who cares? Like, but if the, you know, nuclear plant goes boom, that's a bad thing. <laughs> that is. And now with that analogy, with the drug analogy, you're making me think about, you know, unlicensed supplements that are listed with the FDA, but they're not validated by them. So you could have software supplements that could contain any number of things and you don't know whether they actually work or not, you know, contains on these libraries, doesn't actually use them or, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's, that's an excellent point. I mean, there's several levels to this, right? Because you, you, I think a sensible approach is to not say everything is either super high risk or super low risk, right? There's a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And we sort of have to bucketize this into some broader categories. And maybe you're right, we have a food supplement and drug sort of levels in the S-bomb world, because, yeah, like I said, you know, it, it, it reminds me of when one of my junior people at Rackspace found a SQL injection and they got very excited about it and they ran and told the VP of engineering and this whole big ta-da happened internally at Rack because of the SQL injection was found. It was a SQL injection in an application to book rooms in our headquarters. Like mm, it's uh -huh. bad, but I really don't care. 
<laughs> Certainly not as much as like Rackspace.com, right? If there's a SQL injection in Rackspace.com, I really, really care. And that's like a, oh, crap moment, right? Time to pull up the troops and go nuts. But yeah, okay, we need to get it fixed. We'll go talk to the team who dev that and, you know, the, okay, whoops on you. But it wasn't worth, you know, bringing in the VP of product <laughs> to yeah. cause an all yeah. hands in a, you know, panic mode. So I think that kind of, uh, the ability to sort of put the the importance of that SBOM and the software really that's described by the SBOM into a spectrum is really important. Yeah, and into context. So just like today, when you know we get we get announcements, uh, new CVEs sent out, and all that kind of stuff, somebody has to sit around and figure out whether this is a problem for us in what we're using, in what we're supplied, in what we're writing. And I can only see that increasing when we increase the granularity of things on the S-bombs. Every time something changes, somebody will have to figure out, do we care or do we not care? Make a note. Wendy said that we don't care about this on this date. And, you know, and, and also deprecate the things that are not relevant anymore. Okay, this, you know, these 500 S-bombs are now deprecated because you know, we've updated all these other things. You know, it's going to be crazy. And I came across a really interesting startup uh, called Ion Channel. And what they do is they run open source intelligence analysis on, uh, on open source projects, you know, through GitHub and everything. And they analyze who has been contributing to what components. And, you know, did you know that so-and-so who also works for this sanctioned uh, ransomware group is also writing and contributing to your company's open source software that you're using on your website that your customers are accessing? And you want to go, oh, crap, is this a problem or not? You know, or sure, maybe we don't want to use components that are openly sourced from let's say Russia. Okay. Yeah. Russia's in the doghouse right now. So, yep. okay. We don't want to use that, but then, well, this is in, this is in Cyrillic. Do we know if it's Russian or not? Or is it Ukrainian? We like the Ukrainians. Could it be Belarusian? Could it be one of the occupied territories in Ukraine right now? Just because it's in Cyrillic doesn't mean it's bad. Somebody is going to have to dig through this and, and, you know, figure it out. But I thought this whole open source intelligence collection about who is contributing to open source projects, what they have in common, what else they're working on, where there are known vulnerabilities. I remember when when you were working on pet testing, we talked about how if you could find a particular flaw in the code and you knew who wrote it, you could go look at their LinkedIn and see where else they'd worked and then go check their <laughs> other software at their other companies to see if the same flaw was in there. Can you imagine doing this with uh, S-bombs? Yeah, that could be really interesting. And, and that is a, that ION channel is an interesting idea because you're right. If I think to the Defect Dojo project that I'm a part of, right, there's a handful of us that do contribute co contributions regularly. We do take PRs, obviously love PRs. Um, and we yeah. luckily have two of the core people uh, approve every PR before they get merged. Right. But you're right. Like it would be like the, the I think what is our total contri contributors to Dojo over the eight plus years it's been around is 90 some odd. It's a very manageable number for a computer. And yeah. if somebody does a drive by PR, 
it's going to stand out. If I do a PR, if Cody mm -hmm. does a PR, if Val does a PR, th these are people that do PRs all the time, no big deal. But then, you know, yeah. random person, like you said, from an interesting place does a PR. Mm -hmm. hmm, I might want to know that. Yeah, or did you know that this person who has been contributing is a great contributor to all these projects is also contributing to the dark side? <laughs> oh, oops. How worried are we about this? Yeah, we had, it's interesting. You're reminding me of a problem we had with chapter reimbursements at OWASP, right? Because we're at mm -hmm. the end of the day, OWASP is a US charity, right? And yeah. they happen to be in Iran. And if you're in Iran, we, we can't reimburse your chapter expenses. There's this Oops. thing called the State Department that doesn't approve of those things and yeah. has a pretty big hammer, right? If they want to get ugly with us. So, you know, and I, you feel terrible because this person had done some great contributions. They had a productive chapter. I, I, you know, I can't buy you guys pizza because, you know, at the end of the day, there's yeah. a overriding authority that I really don't want to mess with. <laughs> you got to launder your pizza before sending it over there. <laughs> That's right. So it, it, for the, you, you talk to a lot of CISOs, you're a CISO advisor, right? What, what do you have any like summation or feedback or what's the, what's the next steps? What would you do? And then the, the secondary question is that's interesting for CISOs is, I think it's a no brainer to use SBOMs internally. I, I think there's zero argument on that, but how published are those, right? Do you only yeah. give them to people who buy your product or do you stick it on your website? Like, where does that go? That's a good question. And I honestly don't know if we have made those full determinations yet because the, you know, the, the climate has changed ever since Log4j and you know, every, when these things started showing up in the CNN headlines, that's a very different situation when your legal folks are going, oh, do we have any of those? Do we have that? What are we doing about it? I mean, yes, you know, we have a P-cert and, you know, we, we, you know, deal with reports and with patches all the time, but suddenly it is because we're going to start getting more information. We're going to be prepared to give that information. Yes, we can tell you which components we're using, where they are, wh whether this is which SKUs they're in, or which product names these are today, and that will be the basis of our discussion, our negotiation for product support is this a problem for you? Do you need, you know, do you need us to, to change this even though we don't believe it's a problem? All that negotiation is going to have to come on. But then when you're talking about long supply chains of, uh, yes, we did not actually write this. We got this from this source who got it from that source who got it from that source. Um, as uh, Helen Patton on my team, uh, another advisory CISO says, you know, th there's no termination point in a supply chain. You might think there is, but there isn't. And so, you know, what's our responsibility as a vendor to both ends in both directions of the supply chain, you know, to report upstream, whatever upstream is, you know, to our sources and say, hey, you know, you got to fix this or downstream saying, we told them they got to fix this, but they're not fixing it. So we're going to fix it. And if you want you know, this other version, you need to go around us next time because we're only going to provide this version of it going forward. There's going to be a lot more, I think, transacting, a lot more discussion, a lot more negotiation. And I know a lot of people are very, very excited about 
you know, generating zest bombs and building graphs, you know, and all these relationship graphs of who's doing what. And I can see how that would be fun, but for most CISOs who are, you know, just trying to make, trying to keep their own organization out of trouble, the fact that this component is used by 90% of the known internet is interesting, but, you know, what does it mean for us? Yeah, one, one, one interesting thing along those lines, and I, I heard this at a DevOps days in Austin, I, I, it was a, I don't remember exactly, it was a sizzle of one of the large airlines, and I don't remember which one. And I, I oh, probably Dan Glass name. when he was at American Airlines. I bet it was that, actually, I, I'm sure it was. One of the things we had a hall conversation kind of like this, and I, we were talking about trying to work with developers and just make things a little more sane. And one of the things he did that I thought was just absolutely brilliant, and you could do this with S-bombs now even more effectively, is he talked mm -hmm. to the devs and he said, hey, you guys do logging, right? And what app doesn't do logging, right? Let's pick a library. <laughs> you guys tell me, right? You guys tell me, and we're just going to standardize on it. And that's the library we use. And now there's not a discussion of, you know, new dev comes in, hey, I need to do lo logging at the last place I used Weeby login. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to pull that in because I know it and start using it. And next thing you know, you have like 87 logging frameworks right. in your dev shop. And he said, just asking them and letting them hash it out and pick one. Mm -hmm. Like talk about reducing complexity. It's beautiful. And you could do that kind of an interesting thing with an internal SBOM, right? Have the have a survey of like, wow, why do we have 18 different ways that we handle SAML, right? This is kind of mm -hmm. dumb. We should have one. And then we mm -hmm. can really narrow down and understand the risk profile of that one library versus the end libraries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think as we, you know, it's going to be to our advantage as a provider of SBOMs to try to be compatible with whatever different standards our customers want. And so we support a couple, but I think we use just one internally. I forget which one we're using internally. But uh, you know, as we develop and get ready to take this prime time when our customers are ready to use it, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, like from the executive order, as the federal government uses SBOMs, how do they process them? You know, what do they develop? How do they use them? I imagine in some cases, especially for the defense side, it's going to be a lot easier to determine certain thresholds or gates and say, there's no way we're taking this if this isn't an SBOM. They don't have to argue with VPs, you know, who are saying, I don't care, I want this. Yeah, I got so a product launch. It's going to be <laughs> Yeah. So it's going to be okay for them, but for the civilian side and for the, um, the private sector, making up our own policies internally about what we will accept and what we will not accept is going to be a whole new thing. Yeah. And it was funny. You reminded me of what I used to do with my kids. Like you were talking about how this, the supply chain has this infinite depth, right? And it was reminding me of when my kids would inevitably, they were young, ask you, well, why this? And then you say, oh, because, oh, but why that? Oh, because, right? You get this why chain that never ends. I, I figured yeah. out the ultimate way to kill it with my children was, uh, I finally say, because there are no bones in ice cream, and which, is a, <laughs> which is a quote from a, a, a Three Stooges ancient old video. And, and for some reason, it, it, they were like, oh, okay, no bones in ice cream. I'm good. <laughs> it's yeah. not that every because time. of reasons okay because of reasons yeah. yes 
but you're right. Like you can, you can dig and keep flipping over rocks almost infinitely, right? Turtles all the way down with the S-bomb Yes. Thing. And you'll have to decide, especially in the case of SAS, in the case of cloud, where are you going to stop? And I think some of the time it's going to be your, your provider. They're going to say, because this is as far as it goes. Sorry, you get the last turtle. You're going to have to go somewhere else to look up the why behind that one. Yeah, and the, 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 the other thing that might be really uh, like a, a dark side of S-bombs, perhaps, uh, this is me with my evil pen tester hat on, mm -hmm. it, right? It, I have found uh, one of the reasons I like open source, right, is I can dig around and see the choices they made, particularly in terms of libraries. And I found a lot of really interesting pieces of software, libraries and whatnot, by looking at the source of other projects, right? And so if yeah. you found this really sweet open source library that's kind of off everybody's radar and you produce a public SBOM, you're kind of advertising to your competitors this competitive advantage, which could be really spooky, right? That is interesting. Yeah, as you get more transparent about what's in there, there will be lots of opinions and indicators and signals and things that Either people, you know, you could have paid attention to them before, but it wasn't in such a convenient layout where you could just look at that and go, huh, why did he use that? Yeah, or I need a good library to do this. I know that product has a really great, you know, they handle that situation really well. What library did they use? I'll just uh, grab that one too. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Why yeah. Not? So I, I think, I think S-bombs are going to change so much about the interaction in the community beyond just, you know, boom, here's your food label. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not like we asked them in what field did they grow the corn that ended up in my Doritos, right? Like, right. And, and yeah. you know, it seems like this could go that route if we're not, if we're not careful. Yeah. Is there really no gluten? Or, you know, is, is there gluten, but is there no gluten, but there is wheat? What kind of wheat did you, was it in the same truck as the wheat? <laughs> right. uh, that sort of thing. So, yeah, there are going to be, have to be, and I think this is a great opportunity for senior security people and developers to be able to start drawing those bright lines of these sorts of things are important. These are not so important. Let's already have. Uh, pre-composed answers and responses for these sorts of situations when you see something in an S-bomb so that we are not burning up a lot of cycles, litigating the same argument over and over again every time it comes by. Yeah, it's going to take a lot of casual sort of product development decisions and make them very explicit, right? Because at some point in time, somewhere a developer or maybe a product like a software architect or somebody decides that this is what we need to do and here's the best way to do it, right? And by the way, this library fulfills that need. Well, none of that was ever really written down if it was even mildly formal, not in any place I've yeah. ever been. So it'll be yeah. interesting where this has to be sort of a much more mature, formal, documented sort of process, right? Well, why did we choose liblaw? No, why didn't we choose, like you said, libfoo, right? Well, because, mm -hmm. right? And and then you, you inherit those, uh, whatever interesting uh, future you have with that lib foo or lib la. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, especially in really large organizations with hundreds or thousands of developers, there is no one book of truth. And every different engineering team has their own culture. They're like, well, maybe you're you know, a lib 
food shop over there, but we are not. We hate Libfu. And uh, then you're going to have to litigate arguments that seem ridiculous that you really shouldn't have to get into. But for the sake of transparency, standardization, for the sake of having your chief product officer not have to go visit the very important customer and explain why this is such a mess, you're going to have to force people into standardization that they don't necessarily want. And uh, yeah, uh, so uh, again, for, for senior people, this would be a great opportunity to start learning about this and getting involved and also formulating risk decisions on the back end because we have plenty of people already, we could always use more, but we have plenty of people who are working on how to deliver this stuff and uh, what format it should be in. That's great, but we don't have nearly enough people figuring out on the consumption end just how we're going to consume it. Right. We have a whole bunch of data and ways to, to make the data programmatically useful, but not how to answer the, what do I do with the data? How do you make that data actionable? And what actions am I going to decide? Right. Those are unknowns right now. Yeah. And there's always the temptation when you're doing risk to create your own little black box risk scoring app that says, oh, this is, you know, 15 different sources said this was a critical vulnerability in you know, SSL v2 <laughs> or, right. you know, whatever. And so I have, I have yet to meet a CISO who is just going to take somebody else's risk recommendations straight out of the box. They're going to want to look at it and go, why did they say this? Because this is going to cost us a huge amount of money to fix it. It better be worth it. And so I, I would also urge vendors out there who are going to be dishing up S-bombs not to, don't put them in black boxes. You may think you're helping your customer by giving them a risk score, but they may not buy it anyway. So just make sure that it's easy for them to look at the reasoning behind all of your scoring and to make their own decision. Please, yeah, that, please do that. Yeah, that context thing is never going away in the security world. And, and you're, you're mm -hmm. scary as my, I don't care, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like my mom, horribly allergic to cats. So her being around cats, pretty scary. Me, I'm not, I don't really care. Cat, whatever, right? So, yeah. and, and you know, so my mom's critical cat score is my informational. Like, yeah, it happens to be a cat, eh, whatever. <laughs> hey, do you remember that time when we, uh, when we noticed that one of our, our servers was uh, reaching out to, and uh, for software updates to an IP address and we found out it was like in Romania or something and and we panicked and I started ordering pizzas and everything and then we found out that that was actually updating our Nessus feed because we had had to get it on a state contract and the only provider who was on the state contract that was doing updates was this vendor in Romania so we actually did have a business reason to get software updates from <laughs> Romania so it's like okay cancel the pizzas and you were like damn it you said a lot of bad words and I did. I was kind of a naughty boy back then. You, you, you helped, <laughs> you helped straighten me out. So I appreciate that. <laughs> well, but uh, yeah, there, there's so much business context in there. Never forget that with S-bombs, there are going to be business context as well. Oh, definitely. So you uh, have been brave and nice enough to, to help me introduce a new feature of my, uh, my versions of the OWASP podcast. 
I got an interesting oh, deck boy. of cards from the Base Camp Card Company, and they have questions on them. So I have pre-shuffled the deck. I'm going to draw from the top and ask you a question. And it's, this is just a, there's no right answer here. This is Wendy's opinion. Um, here we go. Mm -hmm. The card says, "Oh, interesting. This is a this is a nice draw. What is the story behind one of your scars?" Ooh, ooh, oh boy. Um, gosh, without getting too personal, let's see. Um, I, I, I used to have a scar on my leg from when some kid in Sunday school flipped a pencil at me and the pencil point went into my leg. And so for like 10, 15 years, I had a little graphite mark in my leg and it finally grew out and disappeared and I can't find it anymore, but it took like 15 years to wow. grow out. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, it is kind of funny how the body can sort of just surround those things and, you know, over, like you said, a long period of time, slowly push them away. Like a tattoo that you, your body's always trying to get rid of. Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you for playing. And, and I, Oh, that I'm, was it? That was easy. Yeah, that was it. I mean, I could ask you another one if you want. I got 50 odd of them, right? But I just figured it'd be fun uh, to get some nice color added outside of our, our uh, you know, S-bomb talk. We dropped enough S-bombs. Yeah. We did. We have dropped a lot of S-bombs. No, this, this was a great conversation. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I super appreciate it, Wendy. I always, I always get a little bit smarter every time I talk to you. So this has been great. And hopefully our listeners will be a little bit smarter too. And thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you shaving out a little bit of time to, to talk with the OWASP podcast. Thank you very much, Wendy. This is the OWASP podcast series. I'd like to thank No Name Security for making it possible for me to record this episode. No Name is a complete and proactive API security platform that protects your APIs in real time and detects vulnerabilities and misconfigurations before they can be exploited. No Name is an out-of-band solution that integrates with your existing infrastructure to provide deeper visibility and security. So if you're interested in API security, I'd suggest you give them a look.